Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Matthew chapter 18. So we're continuing the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And um, we're at a point in Jesus' life where he's set his face towards Jerusalem. He's preparing himself for the crucifixion. You know, and as he's preparing himself, he knows that he has to prepare his disciples. And so he starts to really, he's been focusing on his disciples, beginning to prepare them for his departure. And this is not an easy task, as you know. They need a lot of preparation. God has to do a lot of work in them. And I I appreciate that because I fit right in there. I appreciate all the the ministry that has to happen in the disciples uh, before Jesus departs. And so that's what he's doing right now. And uh, before we move into the passage this morning, I just want to bring a little bit of context um, for those that haven't been around in this study to help us understand what is happening in these verses. You know, the original, um, when this was written, these were letters, right? And so they didn't have chapters and verses and all that kind of stuff. That was in, 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 uh, inserted around the 15th century for the purpose of helping us, you know, be able to find things, memorization, stuff like that. But when Matthew was writing this, it was a letter. And so when you, you know, it's hard to just bump into a, just jump right into the middle of a letter and get the context. You need to kind of start and make sure you understand the flow of it because it, it keeps you in context. And so that's what I want to do just real quick. At the end of chapter 17, if you've been here for a little bit, you remember that uh, Jesus gave Peter a declaration of sonship. He, he told him, hey, um, you know, uh, if, if, Who's taxed in a kingdom? Is it, the, is it the people or is it the sons of the king or is it just the other people? And, of course, Peter said, well, it's the other people. And, and so, yeah, Jesus said, well, that's exactly right. Then the sons are free. And, and what he was declaring to Peter in that moment is that you're a son, Peter. You're free. And, and that was an incredible declaration to help Peter understand his position when it comes to the world and the law and his relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the king. He's been set free. No longer does he have that burden to fulfill the law in terms of temple tax and all that kind of stuff. No longer is he going to feel the condemnation of the law because he's the king. The king has set him free from those things. And, and that was an incredible thing that we saw there. Um, that, that sonship that he received there from Jesus was not um, by way of a result of birth, but it was as a result of adoption and you remember we talked about that a little bit galatians 4 4 through 5 tells us but when the fullness of time had come god sent his son forth or sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons so it tells us jesus came to redeem us well what does that mean it means that jesus came to purchase us well why did he have to purchase us because we have sin that needs to be um, paid for the righteousness of god that's brought out by the law has to be satisfied. We're teaching on uh, the kids, the youth group, Romans chapter 3 right now, and and that's exactly what it's talking about. You know, you get Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 leads up to verse 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 20, where he's declared that everybody's failed in righteousness. There's not one person that can stand before God and say, you know, God, I'm righteous on my own. No, everybody's failed. And, And he continually says through there, you're without excuse. But, but he's revealing his righteousness through the law, and he's helping everybody to see that they're condemned by the law. But when you get to verse 21 in Romans chapter 3, what happens is Paul shifts and he says, but now, but now, things have shifted. There's been a 
there's something that's happened. And he talks about the fact that God sent his son. And that now changes things for us, gives us the opportunity to be righteous before him. That, that righteousness has not been set aside. It has to be satisfied. And our righteousness is not in all of ourselves. It's in Jesus Christ. And that's what he came to do. He came to purchase us so that we could have his righteousness. So that anyone who would believe upon him could be adopted into God's family. And it's a result of faith. We know that. John chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 says, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, so we understand how important it is uh, that this adoption process happen. It's by faith. It's by us believing upon Jesus, and then we're adopted into God's kingdom. And, and, that, and it was an incredible cost at the life of Jesus is what it amounts to. Well, apparently that sonship for these disciples went to their heads, and they started to become a little bit prideful about it, and they started to kind of strut around like peacocks, and uh, they ended up having a conversation, as you re- remember last week, who might be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it, this kingship in Christ was turning into a Hatfield and McCoy episode. They started fighting amongst each other. And the, the, the relatives, you know, your brothers, man, what are you guys doing fighting? That's not exactly what God had in mind for his adopted sons and daughters. They weren't supposed to be fighting, but they're supposed to be uniting. Uh, they were supposed to be considering others' interests greater than themselves. You know, first and foremost, they should have never had that conversation about who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? But if they were going to have the conversation, the conversation should have, should have been totally other-centered. It should have been, Peter, you're, you're just an incredible example, and, you know, we're so grateful that, you know, the Lord's used you in such a way. I mean, you walked on water, man. And he's, Peter would turn, and then he would look to his brother, Andrew. Andrew, you know, you've had so much faith. Remember when, uh, when Jesus was just coming in, and it was you that called us all to him. You're the one that said, hey, we found the Messiah. You were, you were, you know, following John the Baptist. You've always had a heart for God. It should have been other-centered. You see what I'm saying? They should have been building each other up, not themselves. They, they, they kind of missed they should have never had that conversation. They were actually having the first annual Pride Fest in Capernaum right there when they were building themselves up before e- each other. And, and you remember what Jesus did? He called a little child to himself. He just pointed a little boy out, whoever, little boy or girl, I don't know which it was, but he just said, hey, little child, come here. And he sets him in the, you know, I, I imagine he sets him on his lap, you know. And, and th- this, the point of this is that he would illustrate to them what it looks like to be his in God's family, how it's supposed to look. And, and he tells him, hey, I just want to remind you guys that, do you remember that even in order to come to the kingdom that you must become like children? You have to become like children. What did he mean? Well, he meant that they have to possess the same characteristics that a child possesses if they're going to enter the kingdom of God. They need those, those childlike qualities. One of the greatest childlike qualities, as we talked about last week, was faith. Children have incredible faith. They believe beyond seeing. They don't have to see stuff to believe it. You tell them, and they're so believable, you know, that you can tell them all kinds of stuff, and they believe it. They're just, wow, that's awesome, you know. So we're supposed to have childlike faith, you know, in that sense of believing without having to see. It's one of the greatest characteristics. That's how we get into the kingdom of God, as we learned. Um, It's funny how the older we get, 
how the more skeptical and cynical we get, isn't it? It's funny how the older we get and the more we, oh, I have to see that to believe it. You know, we don't believe anything by faith, and it's difficult. that's why it's so difficult the longer you wait to come to Christ. You know, it's more difficult for you because you have things figured out in your minds, and you think you know how the world is. It's, it's called pride, and that's exactly what they were struggling with. Well, not only did they possess that, a great faith, but they also produced, they also pr- uh, pr- possessed one other characteristic that Jesus said produces greatness in the kingdom of God, and that was humility. Children are humble. Children, not all children, but, you know, generally speaking, the characteristic is humility. Jesus said, you guys want to be great in heaven? You have to become like, like, like children in your faith and in your attitudes. You have to be humble. That's the context of where we left off last week. Now, Jesus still has this little child on his lap. You know, he didn't, he didn't say, hold on, we'll, we'll catch this next week like we do. He continued on with what he was teaching there. And he has this little, little child on his lap, and, and he's illustrating to his disciples. Again, now something that I believe is well, very serious, pretty serious as it relates to these little ones. He, he now turns to focus on the child itself, and, and he's speaking both, I think, figuratively and literally. So let's just pick it up in um, Matthew chapter 18. Stand with me, if you would, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, and then we'll, we'll pick it up. We'll go through verse 9 this morning. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such a child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell the hell of fire. And Father, we thank you for your word now. We pray, God, that you would help us to see exactly what you want us to see. Help us to leave here changed. Lord, come and, come and uh, divide the word for us and help us to do that um, rightly this morning. Me specifically and just speak, Lord, to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is The Father's Heart. The Father's heart, what we find in, in these four verses, I believe, is an incredible portrait of God's love for his children. He's, Jesus is painting a picture of the love that God has for, his, for, for these little ones. Let me ask you, do you realize how much God loves you? Do you really realize how much God loves you? I mean, we hear it all the time. Maybe you hear it all the time. You should hear it all the time because it's true. God does love us. We say it to, to each other all the time. God loves you, man. God loves you. It doesn't matter where you are today. You know, God loves you and all that stuff. But do we really grasp that? Do we really get it? I, I don't think so. At least I don't believe I do. I don't believe that I, fo- I don't really have a comprehension of the kind of love that God has for me. And I want to. 
I want to. I want to, you know, we know it's unconditional, and we get that, but it doesn't feel that way, does it? When you blow it, does it it feel like, there's something that happens in the human mind that makes you feel like God loves you less, but that's not true. The Bible says God doesn't love you based on what you do, but he loves you based on who he is. And, and if we get that, and if we totally understand how much God loves us and the kind of love that he has for us, wouldn't we wake up and wouldn't we walk differently? Wouldn't we wake up and say, man, I am in love. He loves me. I love him back. I, I'm going to change the way that I, I do things because the kind of love that he has for me. And I think maybe we get that to a degree, but man, I, the depth of God's love. The God, God loves us to the moon and back. I, that's not even, I mean, that's so far away, but that's not even a, a calculative because God loves us so much more than that. It's infinite, his love for us. And I'm not just saying the church. I'm talking the world. said, I so love the world. His love is that vast for every single person in the world. And I, and I say that this morning because I wonder in your mind, if it happens, like, my mind's kind of messed up, so maybe you can't relate to me, but I wonder sometimes if we don't divide God's love a little bit. We say, I don't know. Can God really love that person? Can God really love that person? Why? Because we're conditional people. We are conditional, and so to have an understanding of unconditional love, I think you have to look like it, you have to look at it like a parent-child relationship. I think you have to look at it like that because I don't care what my kid does. I love my child, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them no matter what they do. Now, somebody else's child, that's a different story. That might become a little bit more conditional, but my child, I'm going to love them right where they are no matter what they've done. That's the kind of love that the Father has for us. And he expresses that in his word. Do you know that you have 66 love letters from God. 66 love letters from God to you. In in his word to explain to you the kind of love that he has for you. It's an incredible love. It's a fierce love. It's a jealous love. It is an unconditional love. Not based on who you are, but it's based on who he is. Love letters. Man, do you cherish his love letters to you? Do you look at, look at them and remind yourself on a daily basis, Lord, man, I don't, I don't know why you love me this way, but I accept it, and I love you back this morning, Lord. You know, recently I had the opportunity to, um, to write a love letter to my daughter. I went to a, um, a father-daughter date day thing, and I, I think I told you a little bit about it, but... When we went, um, we went to this thing and we did some activities during the day and they told us, they had us prepare two notes. The first note was just something to encourage your daughter and they were going to give that to her and, and during the day sometime. Now, we were in a fairy tale kind of setting and we would go and, and um, we would go to these, we were like in a, you know, kind of like a Chronicles of Narnia kind of setting, you know, and we would go to these different, um, stations at YWAM up in Lebanon, and um, there were different activities we would do with our daughters. And during one of those activities, they would give that note to your daughter. And 
And so she would open that up there, and she'd be like, oh, honey, I love you so much. I'm so grateful to be your dad. And, you know, you, you encourage me so much in the way that you, you know, do this or that or whatever. And so I wrote her a little, a little note, and she got that, and she just beamed when she got it. But that wasn't the big one. So the big one was later that evening, after we did our activities and stuff, then we got dressed up formally. You know, I was in a suit and a red tie, and she was in a red dress. And we, um, we went to a ballroom up in Nashville. And I had to have prepared before that evening a love note to my daughter to tell her how much I love her, to tell her how much she means to me. And, and so what would happen later that evening was you would, you would find yourself in the group that you were in during the day. You would travel in these different, one of them was Birmingham. You know, we were, it was an English setting, you know, and... and um, Yorkshire was our, was our team name, and, and so we found our Yorkshire table. And every father in that place, it was set, it, the setting was an English ballroom with a, with a king's throne in the front, and, and, what, and a red carpet leading up to that seat. And what would happen was the father would then take his daughter and parade her before all the men and their daughters, and he would set her on that king's throne incredible adoption picture of what God did for us, but set, set her on that throne and he would kneel down next to her and he would tell her, he would pull out his note and he would say, you, you know, daughter, this or that, whatever they would say. And they, it was tear-jerking, man. Some of the things that these fathers shared was unbelievable and I was like, <laughs> but here's the thing. It was my turn. And I got to lead my little daughter up there. And I got to lay her in that seat. And I got to get down on my knee. And I said, Zoe, I love you so much. I can't believe that God allowed me to be your dad. I get, God chose me to be your dad. I am so thankful for that because you are so beautiful and I love you so much. And I wrote her these different things. This is not verbatim what I said. But, but, but I watched her beam as I just told her how much I loved her. That's not even the impactful part. So a couple days later, I'm giving, you know, I will tell you first and foremost, to change my relationship with my daughter. One day, one day, changed my relationship with my daughter. There's a depth there that had not been there prior to that. Unbelievable. But a couple days, fast forward a couple days, and she's laying in her bed, She's laying there, and, she, and, and I come in to say goodnight to her and pray with her. And, and I put my arms underneath her, and my hands went under her pillow. And I felt something. And I pulled this thing out. I'm like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And I pull it out, and I'm like, oh, that's my note. That's my note to my daughter. My daughter cherished that note so much that she went into my closet and into my coat and grabbed that little note and she stuck it under her pillow and she sleeps with it under her pillow every night. That's how much my words mean to her. That's how impactful. She, now when she doubts my love for her, she can pull that note out and she can say, no, my dad loves me. My dad loves me incredibly and he said so right here and I'm going to just believe it. It's an incredible illustration of the word that he's given us, 66 love letters that he's given to us. And like children, shouldn't we cherish it like that? My daughter sleeps with a love note from her dad under her pillow 
and I'm not that great, but God, go to 66. May we treat it like that. May we cherish it like that. Man, the incredible love that God has for us. When you doubt it, all you have to do is look in his word. and You'll find it. You're his child. He loves you. If you're in Christ, you're his child and he loves you and he wants you to know that and he wants to continually remind you of it because you will forget. That's why he wrote it down. He wants us to be reminded of how much he loves us. I could spend all morning talking about God's love and I don't care what passage you're teaching on, it's about God's love. But in particular, what Jesus is talking about in this chapter in these verses, 5 through 9, Matthew chapter 18, he's talking about the way that God expresses his love for his kids. And he does this in a couple different ways. He talks about the expression of, of God's love. Now that we know how much God loves us, it's, it's tremendously more than you could ever imagine. How does he respond then as our father to those who will treat us well or don't treat us well? How would the father respond to that how would jesus as god respond to that knowing that you know we're his and he's ours how does he respond to the way that people treat us well he he paints a picture in two different ways for us he talks about being on the right side of the father's love for his child and that 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 there can be incredible blessings in that but he also reveals the wrong side of the father's love where there is incredible cursing for those who cause a little one to stumble. God loves his kids very, very much. We don't want to be on the wrong side. To be on the wrong side of the Father's love can be a very dangerous thing. Well, Jesus wants to show us this, the two, heart, two sides of the Father's heart here as it relates to children. First, in receiving his children, and second, in deceiving his children. So let's take a look at the Father's heart regarding receiving his child. Jesus said, verse 5, whoever receives one, such child in my name receives me. Jesus said, whoever receives a child. That word there, what Jesus had in mind, is it's a free will uh, receiving, not out of coercion or obligation, but out of deliberation love. Somebody's thought about this when they were going to receive this one in. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't, you know, it just didn't happen. It was thought through. I want to bless that person. I want to receive that person in and I want to deliberately show them love. That's what he's talking about. That's the kind of receiving. I'm not talking about high-fiving somebody uh, as you're walking out the door. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about literally seeking out somebody to bless their socks off. That's what he's talking about. To res- to, to, the Greek word literally means to deliberately and readily take someone to... Or, take something or someone to oneself. It's a term that's used to welcome honored guests and meeting their needs with special attention and likeness. It was thought about. When you receive someone like that, Jesus says, you're receiving me. When you bless somebody's socks off like that, you're blessing my socks off, Jesus said. And that's something we should probably take note of. I want to bless Jesus' socks off, man. He blesses my socks off all the time want to bless him he says he tells us the way that we can do it by ministering to other people by loving other people by receiving them in being thoughtful about it intentional about showing love that's what he's telling them 
Jesus said, when you receive a child that way, please know that you're receiving me. And as a dad, I can totally relate to that. When I see my child and somebody receives my child and that blesses me and I want to bless them back and say, man, thank you for taking such good care of my son or my daughter. I appreciate that very much because I love my kids. It's it's the way that God is going to bless those as as they bless those um, that that are his. Now, because I want to bless God, I want to know exactly who this child is that Jesus is referring to. I want to know what he's talking about. What, What child is he talking about? Is he talking about a spiritual child? He's talking about a physical child, just a, just a child, a little, little boy or a little girl. Well, we know for sure he's definitely talking about a spiritual child. He's definitely talking about those who are his. He's definitely talking about those who are Christians, those who have been adopted into the family of God. There's no question that he's talking about that. But I also think that God also looks at uh, children the same way. I think there is... A, a period of time where, you know, for in the Jewish culture, uh, the age of accountability was not 12, it was 20. And do you know psychologically that at 20 years old, a child's, there's a chemical reaction that happens in their, in their brain, look this up, and it helps them, they can now begin to think rationally. You ever hung out with a kid before? They're not rational. I asked my child, what in the world makes you think you can take a blanket, tie some sticks on it, and fly? You can't do that. It won't work. That's not rational. I'm not 20 yet. No, you didn't read the study. You don't know that answer. But at 20 years old, psychologically something happens. And the age of accountability for in, the, in this culture was 20 years old. At 20 years old, you'd become a, you would you know, be accountable for yourself. You would do that. I think that there's an age of an accountability for a child that the Lord is saying, listen, at this age, when you start to begin to think rationally, now you're accountable. And, you know, I don't know how all that works, but, but I believe that, you know, whether, okay, um, the, 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 the whole subject, and this is, I didn't want to go down this road, but I have to now. You know, is a child, when a child dies, is he saved? Does he go to heaven or not? I believe so. I believe so. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful. And I also believe that man has a responsibility to salvation. And if a child is not able to make that conscious decision, then, then I don't see how God can hold them accountable. And I say that because I look at David. Remember David when he slept with Bathsheba and he had that baby and God said, I'm going to take the baby away from you, David. The judgment wasn't on the child. The judgment was on David. The child was taken out of the world. Why? Because he was going to be with God, I believe, by the words of David himself. Because remember, he, he was grieving and he was praying on the ground. For seven days he fasted. He didn't, he didn't get up. He didn't wash his face. He didn't do any of that. He waited and he prayed and he wept. And the servants, when he, the child was taken from him, began, he began to, uh, they were kind of freaking out, like, I don't know if I should tell him this because look how he's responding already. Now I'm going to tell him he's dead. And David realized what was going on. He said, oh, the child's dead, huh? The child's dead, and what does he do? 
gets up, cleans himself up, and eats. What? Wait, you were, he was alive, and you were, you were mourning, and you were fasting, and you were, but now he's dead, and now you're cleaned up, and you're going to eat? And David said that th- this is where the confidence comes in, I believe, because David said, I know that I'll see him again. I know that I'll be with him again. I know that I'll be with him again. And so that's why I believe that not only is God considering spiritual children, but also physical children, little children that have no conscience, that have no understanding of, not conscience, but have no understanding of what they're doing, that have no way, no capacity to be able to to, um, walk. And and he talks about those who have been led astray that way. If they're little ones, you receive them, you're blessing God. But if you you cause a little one to, to sin, it's a big deal. Think that Jesus is speaking of flesh and blood, physical child as well. And, and also, the other reason is because if, if he was speaking about only spiritual children, he would have used a different Greek word than what the one he used. The one he uses literally means little child. It doesn't mean spiritual child. It means child of God. That's a different Greek word. That's tekion. The word he uses here is not that word. So if, he was, if Matthew was really trying to point that out, he would have said that. That's a big deal to you, I know. But it is. It is because it helps us understand the love that God has for not only his creation, for his children, for, for, these, for these little ones. It's like the little whatever nursery rhyme song goes, you know, Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus loves the little children of the world, you know. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. I don't know how it goes, but that's the words. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Did you know that in this culture that they were, that they were in, that little children had no value? Do you know that they were, they were considered as of no importance at all? They just were to be seen but not heard? <laughs> Jesus grabs a little kid and he says, you want to be great? You become like this. What? That doesn't make sense to us, Jesus. We don't see children as having any value or importance whatsoever. They have no value at this point in their lives. So Jesus says, no, they have value. They have value to me. And I want you to know that because those who receive a child in receive me. It reminds me of, you know, Jesus cares about his children and how they're treated. And he wants to establish that. It reminds me of a story about a wealthy man who cleared a, he collected a rare art with his son. And they had almost every particular kind of painting that you could have, Rembrandts and, you know, Van Goghs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they had every kind of rare art form you could have. And, and they loved to just go in together as a father and son and, and look at the paintings together. Well, his son got called to war. And he was sent off to war, and he, he, he ended up dying there. And the father was, was devastated because he lost his son. One day he had a knock at the door, and, and a soldier showed up at his door with, a, with something that was, you know, a, a, it looked like a painting. So he answers the door, and, the, and the, the, the man begins to tell him that he was, you know, stationed with his son in, in the war and that his son had um, saved his life. And that, uh, you know, he was such a great man and he lived really an incredible, he, he was an example 
every soldier there. I mean, he fought courageously. He was moral in everything that he did, and he cared about other people. And so the father, you know, hearing this is just overwhelmed, and, 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 and the guy goes, you know, he saved my life, and the only thing I could do was, well, I, I painted him a picture, a portrait of him for you, and it's not the greatest picture in the world, but um, it's what I felt like I needed to give you. And so he gives him this portrait, and, and the father receives it, tries to pay him for it, of course, and, and the guy goes, no, it's a gift. It's, it's to you. I, how else could I repay you? That's, I can't repay for what your son did for me. And so the father hung it over his mantle. Well, he's going to die. He's getting ready to die eventually, and so he's putting his, his affairs in order. And um, he, he decides to have an auction at his place when he dies, and that's where he wants um, you know, all of his paintings to be auctioned off and all that kind of stuff. And so he died a few months later, and, and then the auctioneer had come, and it's all set up, and um, many of the influential people around town came, and um, they were excited to see these paintings because they knew that they had all kinds of incredible, valuable paintings. And the auctioneer stood on the platform, and he said with his gavel, he clicked the, the little piece of wood, and he said, okay, we're the auction. The very first piece that we want to auction off is a self-portrait or is a portrait of um, the man's son that was given by a soldier who he saved his life and, and this was very valuable to the father and he wants to start out with that auction and, and wants to start out with this piece and well, you know, somebody give me $200 for it. No, that's just dead silence and, and he, he's continually trying to auction this thing off and nobody wants this painting because it's not great. They want the other ones. And so he says, okay, well, anybody give me 50 bucks? And people start getting frustrated with it because they want the thing to go on. They, want to, they, want, they came to get what they wanted, not to see this portrait and, or this picture, this painting. And um, so he ends up, ends up being that um, somebody in the back finally bids on the, on the painting, and it was the gardener of the house. And he said, man... I don't have any money. All I got is 10 bucks, but I'll take it for 10 bucks. Stood how much he loved his son, and I would like that. And, and the man happened to have his son with him. And um, so uh, the, the auctioneer said, well, going once at $10, going twice at $10, sold to the man in the back for $10. And now I want to let you all know that the auction is closed because whoever bought that painting now gets all of the other ones I couldn't reveal that beforehand, but who cares about the son? The father wanted them to have all the rest. Gardner ended up getting everything in, in the man's um, art collection because of the way that he loved his son, because he cared for the son, because he, the way he treated his son. And that's the way God is with us. He cared about his son and he, so much, but he gave him for us. But he cares about what we do with him. He cares about how we live with him and how we share him and, and, and what we do with his son. That's the father's heart for his son. Jesus said, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. If we receive Jesus, then we're blessed beyond measure. We get everything that that gardener got. We get everything in Jesus because the father gave his son. Jesus is illustrating this truth for us in, in here in Matthew. 
he illustrates it a little bit clearer for us in Matthew chapter 25. You guys know these, these verses. It's the separation of the sheep and the goat. Remember when Jesus separated the sheep from the goat and he, and he said, the sheep are on my right. And then, and then he told them, well, I'll just read it to you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Come you who are uh, blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. For I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you invite and visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see a see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me you did it to me the blessing in the kingdom that awaits uh, you isn't based on how many bible verses you know it isn't based on how many folks you led to the lord isn't based on it's based on how you receive one such child. That's what he said. Enter into your rest for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. What is he teaching? He's teaching we should be others focused. He's teaching how much his love is for other people. And when we, how we treat other people is how we would treat them. Because remember, the other side of the coin for the, for the goats was the very opposite. When I was hungry, you didn't give me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. God cares about how we treat each other. He cares about how we treat each other, whether you're a child of God or not. He cares about how we treat each other. He told us to be other-centered. And man, you know, um, even in the church, there, you see the, the strife that happens and the difficulty in the flesh that comes in. God cares about every one of his kids. He cares about all of us. And, you know, when we, when we receive somebody, whether it's brother to brother or whether it's not, when we receive that one in, he says it's like receiving him. And there's blessing for that. But just as much as there's blessing for that, there is also cursing for that. And look at verse 6 as Jesus moves on. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Remember when I said earlier in uh, my introduction that to be on the wrong side of love can be a dangerous thing? To be on the wrong side of a father's love can be a dangerous thing. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus shows us that God has a jealous love for us and that if anyone causes these little ones, in, in the Greek, it's a mirkros, and it, it pertains to someone being of lowly or unimportant status. That's the word that he uses there. And it's a reference to somebody who's humble, and it's pointing us to, I believe, again, a spiritual child, but I also believe that it applies to a physical child. Uh, nevertheless, what Jesus is saying is that if you cause a little one to sin, to be tripped up or to, to fall in some way, then you would, have, you would be better off tying a 400-pound stone around your neck and just going out to the deepest place you can find and just offloading it and going with it and drowning. He said you'd be better off to do that than, than to stand. He, he's trying to bring the, the, the level of severity for those who don't, who mistreat his, his, his creation and his kids. Uh, the Jews, 
for the Jews, when Jesus would have said this, this would have terrorized the Jews because they, they had a, a great fear of drowning. They didn't like the sea. The great fear of drowning. I can relate to that, man. I don't want to drown, particularly with a stone wrapped around my neck dragging me down. To the, to the, that's not cool. I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. But, but in Rome, they practiced that. They actually did that. They would take stones and they would wrap ropes around them. And if you were, you know, if you were going to be executed in some way, that would be one of the ways they would do it. They'd just take you out to sea and drop you off of the stone. And you'd just sink and die and drown. Jesus isn't messing around when it comes to that. He says it would be better for him because the judgment of God is far worse, is what he's saying. The judgment of God is far worse than that. Now, understand, no one can make you sin. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, hey, you made me do it, so you're in trouble and I'm not. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you present the opportunity through temptation, for one of these little ones to sin. You also have judgment regarding that. <laughs> we do it to each other all the time. You know, we're driving down the road and, you know, we, we cut in front of somebody and we give them an opportunity to get angry with us. Now we created sin. The temptation created itself. Who are we thinking about when we did that? Ourselves. Thinking about me. Yesterday we were we were um, we were out um, messing around on, and uh, we went up to Percy Priest and we were cruising around on the water and my son was messing around and there was some you know some other some younger kids were in a boat and he was like hey hey and he was he was joking around you know and and they 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 thought it was funny at first but then he kept doing it hey hey and the guy flew him the bird and and you know I go hey you know what. You just gave that guy an opportunity to sin because of the, your presentation, the way that you present yourself to him, you gave him an opportunity to sin. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about here. That kind of stuff. I don't think we think it like that, but that's what he's talking about. Like, your actions and your attitudes and what you do make a difference to God, and you're held accountable to them. Even the way that other people react to them. That's what Jesus is saying. How other people react to you you have accountability to. Now, again, is God going to judge us that way? Is he going to, I, as a child of God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, but don't think God won't give you a spiritual spanking. And, and don't think that God won't, you know, you're, you're not going to um, be marked off, at, you know, in the rewards ceremony in heaven. There is a, a judgment we'll go through. It's not a judgment of condemnation, but it's a judgment of reward. And so there'll be judgment for even us as believers in Christ. How we present ourselves to people and how we treat other people matters to God because they're His. You know, and when you think about that for a minute and just my interactions with even my brothers and sisters sometimes, I think, Lord, these are your kids. I know how I am with my kids. Ooh, I need to be careful about how I treat others. And you know, what it, you, know, you know what God is really trying to tell you? Get beyond yourself. It's pride that makes us respond to those things that way. Jesus is just saying, man, be careful. There's, it's a severe thing to cause someone to sin, to be the dangling carrot before them. 
And Satan loves to prod us right along. Yeah, do it. You don't deserve to be treated like that. You get them. And we do, and then, and then we're accountable for it. He knows the game. He understands. And we should too. Jesus goes on in verse 7, Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it is necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. The word woe is a word that is meant to describe cursing and condemnation. You never want to hear that uh, word come out of Jesus' mouth with your name associated to it. You don't want to hear that. That's not a good thing. Jesus is essentially saying that if you put a stumbling block in front of one of his kids, you're going to reap some condemnation. Um, It's true that God uses those stumbling blocks for the good. He says, you know, it's necessary that temptations come. But, But nevertheless, it's not, there is consequence for it. You, you know, God used, temptation has to come for sin to be revealed. And sin, the sin is not the temptation. It's, the, it's not the, it, it's, it's the giving in to the temptation. That's where you sin. James tells us clearly in verse chapter one, James chapter one, about how that process works. You know, when you're tempted and you're lured away and then you give in to that temptation, it talks about then you've given in to sin and now sin breeds itself and it uh, spreads all over your body. God uses that. You know, he uses the, the, the temptations to help us to see where we are with him. And to see, you know, that where we are with the Lord and, and how much we need to change. And Jesus goes on, he says, you'd be better off dead than to be that one who caused the one to sin. To sin. God's not causing people to tempt people. You know, James also says that, James chapter 1, that God doesn't cause people to, he doesn't tempt people. He doesn't tempt you. He tests you. He tests your faith, but he doesn't tempt you. The temptation comes from the flesh. It comes from the enemy. And when we give into it, that's where the sin comes. Well, Jesus said you'd be better off, man, to be dead than to be the one who causes that. He's very serious about sin. So serious um, that, that he goes on to tell us about how we should, how serious we should be about sin in verses 8 through 9. And he tells us how we ought to deal with sin in our own hearts. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled than, and, or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to, to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hellfire. Now, Jesus isn't speaking literally here. You know that. He's speaking in hyperbole. And, and he's, he's helping us to understand how serious we should be with sin because God's real serious about it. And that was his point, what he just got done saying. I'm real serious about sin, and you should be too. He says if something's causing you to sin, man, cut it out. Get radical with it. Do what's necessary to remove that obstacle in your life. Jesus is speaking about a physical cutting off as it relates to the temptations that cause us to sin. He's telling us to be radical with sin. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you struggle with um, self-control and you have alcohol in your uh, refrigerator and you struggle with over-consuming alcohol, you probably shouldn't have alcohol in your refrigerator. 
you know, if you're struggling with viewing things on TV or the internet that you shouldn't be viewing that's causing you to sin, you need to do something to get that out of the way, whether it be remove it completely or whether it be get some accountability to it, whatever it might be. But he's saying get serious with it. If there's things in your life, if you constantly find yourself, you know, bursting out in anger in all these kinds of things, you need to you need to evaluate what is causing you to do that. Why are you doing that? And sometimes it just means you got to die to yourself. Sometimes it means you need to cut off yourself and you need to die. But there are things that we, um, you know, in our freedoms in Christ that we put in our paths that become incredible stumbling blocks to us. And they become incredibly stumbling blocks for other people. You know, so, so Jesus is simply saying, if there's stuff in your life that you're struggling with, Find the source and remove it. Find the source and remove it, you know, whatever that might be. And that's going to be look differently for all of us, but, but you have to get radical with sin. Jesus came and he died and he rose again from the dead, and because of that, you were purchased if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean you'll have any less temptation and any less, um, you know, bent towards sin. You've been born again, but you still have the body of death. You still have the flesh to contend with, and it's a war. You know, I, I love what Damien Kyle says to himself. He said, I get up every morning, and I look myself in the mirror, and I say, I'm going to battle you all day long, and that is the truth with Christ. So we have to look at our lives, and we have to look at those things that are, that are, that are causing us to veer off the path, and we have to get radical with them. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, it's like the, like the song says about, you know, our, our, our bent or our, the gravity is not towards the world, it's towards God. And so whatever it means for us to get rid of, we have to. It doesn't matter what other people think of it. You don't have a TV in your house? No, I don't. I don't. Oh, hey, did you see that? New? No, I don't. I don't watch TV because I just don't, I don't trust myself. Whoa, taking the Christian thing a little too seriously, aren't you? Jesus took it pretty serious when he hung himself on a cross. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want you to show up to, in heaven, you know, all jacked up with no arms and no legs and no eyes. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if there's things in your life that are causing you to stumble, get rid of those things. Cut those things off. Don't let those things, um, you know, continue to plague you. God doesn't, and, and he talks about how the result of that, you know, if you don't, if you're not radical with sin, if you don't come to that place where you put your faith in Christ, then there's hell and condemnation for those people. And, you know, here's the thing is, God's not sending the person to hell, is he? God, God's actually provided a way of escape. But, but the person's not willing to get radical with the sin decides that they love the sin more than they love God, and so they, they, they choose to go that way. And that's what he's saying. God is, God is only executing, judge, uh, executing righteousness. And again, like I said earlier, righteousness is a requirement to get into heaven. Thankfully, it's not based on our righteousness. It's based on Jesus. That's why, uh, you know, we're going to be clothed with a robe of righteousness. Because it's, it's the, the wardrobe in heaven. You've got to have it or you can't get in. But it's Jesus' righteousness. 
And I'm thankful for that because that's what makes heaven heaven. No more sin, no more contending, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more waking up in the morning and say, I have to battle you every day. No more wondering about your attitudes or your actions or any of that kind of stuff is laid to rest when you're buried in this grave. And when you go to be with him and you're in your spiritual body, no longer do you have to worry about any of that stuff, man. But until then, until then we do. And until then, Jesus says, be vigilant with your sin. Because if you don't, it's gonna, you're going to create all kinds of stumbling blocks, not only for yourself, but for your other people. You know, just as much as children are, are, have incredible characteristics like faith and like humility, they also have this incredible characteristic to be sponges. You know that? You ever seen your kid act like you? Because they do. They watch you, and they learn from you, and they become like you. So, so the reality is that we have, I mean, if you have kids, you know, as a parent, we have to be very careful about how we um, act in our homes. You know, I see some kids, things in my kids sometimes, and I'm like, oh, man, that's not good. That looks just like me. That's not good. Oh, man. So what am I going to do about it is the question. Get radical with my sin so that they can see that because, again, they will mimic that. So don't, don't allow a little one to stumble. Don't be a stumbling block to other people. Live your life the way that God called you to. He gave the capacity to you through the Holy Spirit, right? He's given us the power. He's given us the, the capability <clears throat> to walk on that road of righteousness with him. And you know what? We need to do that so that we can be a great example and so that we don't fall on the wrong side of love because God is a jealous God and he loves his kids. And you know what? As much as I, uh, um, I love that for me, I don't love that for me. Because I know that I can be a stumbling block to other people. So um, I just encourage you, man, really consider what he's saying here about how you treat other people. It's really an other-centered kind of message is what he's, he's getting at. You, you know, the way that you treat other people is the way that you treat me. And I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't treat Jesus anywhere near I treat some people. Pretty sure I wouldn't treat Jesus, you know, I wouldn't get angry with Jesus. I, I, you know, it's funny how we can find patience when Jesus is around. It's funny how we can find, you know, steadfastness when Jesus is around. It's funny how we can find time to do devotions when Jesus is around or when people are around that we care about that represent Jesus. So just remember, he's always with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for your word and just for the reminder of how serious you are about your love for us, God. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your um, commitment to us and we thank you for being fierce lord for us we pray this morning lord that you would help us to be as fierce for our own lives as you are for us lord that you would help us to see those things in our lives that are weighing us down dragging us down causing us to be bad examples maybe uh, causing us to be stumbling blocks in other people's lives help us lord we want to be more like your son who, although he was a stumbling block, it wasn't because he did anything wrong. He was a stumbling block because the world didn't receive him. 
And so, Lord, let that be the only stumbling block that we could ever be is because we're rightly representing Jesus. Lord, help us in our, in our weaknesses, Lord. Help us in, those, in our areas in our flesh that um, we allow get out of hand, Lord. We pray that you would just anoint us with your spirit today, Lord. Help each one of us, Lord, in the areas in our life that we need to change. We just pray for freedom in this place today, Lord. We pray that you would um, just set, set us free from whatever shackles me, we may have put, put on ourselves this morning. For anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I, I lift them up to you. I pray that you would help them to see that redemption is here. Jesus came, he, ro- he died, and he rose again from the dead. And your word says that all we have to do is put our faith in him. All we have to do is reach out and take Jesus. And Jesus is asking you today personally, do you need that in your life? Do you want that relationship with him? Are you longing for him this morning? Do you you find yourself feeling condemned? Maybe that's because you're not in a relationship with God. Jesus is just saying, you've got to come by faith and it's got to be real and it's got to be with full sincerity. So this morning, if that's you, you just need to reach out to God and just pray, pray a simple prayer in your own heart that says, God, I need you. I'm turning away from the life that I've been living and I'm turning to Jesus today. By faith, I believe that he died and that he rose again from the dead. And I'm claiming that for myself today, Lord, that you might make me clean. Forgive me of my sin and help me to live the life of righteousness that you've called me to. Make me a Christian. And Father, for anyone who prayed that prayer, we know you're all of heaven rejoices. We thank you for that this morning. We pray for the rest of us, for those who know you, God, that you would help us, Lord, again, to just be, be vigilant with our own lives and to take serious the calling that you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.